Welcome back to the Peace and Passion podcast. Really glad you're here. Today I have something a little different for you. I was recently a guest on the Self Kind podcast and I had so much fun. We talked about so many different things, about so many topics that I thought you might find interesting. So I'm giving you a little peek into the conversation. It goes over two episodes. In part one, we talk about the difference between the relationships we have at work and our intimate relationships. We also cover work burnout and I offer a possible reason for this. Then we move on to the concept of unlearning what we learned at work and how that can improve intimate relationships. And then something unexpected happens. I tell you my story and the evolution of the Culture of Care logo, which is the brand I use for my couples therapy practice. I'm excited to tell you about this and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did delivering it. So go ahead and listen to part one now. So welcome, Iman, to the Self-Kind podcast with me. I am so looking forward to chatting with you. We've actually had this in the in the pipeline for a really long time so it's really lovely to actually be chatting with you today so welcome i'm excited to be here i'm dying to get into it yes we've got lots we're going to talk about um so iman can we start with i've sort of given people a little bit of an intro um before we've dived in about what it is that you do but can you give us you know the whatever parts of your story you want to share about what it is that you do, who you help, um, and then we will we'll go from there. All right. Well, in terms of who I am and what I do, I'm a certified Gottman couples therapist. I've got over 20 years experience helping people build better connections, better marriages, better relationships, uh, more trust and, and particularly skillful communication really because I just want to enhance the human bonds between people um, and conflict always comes into that so resolving conflict issues in relationships um, and I work in two ways I've got a couples therapy practice in Sydney I also work online but I also run transformational programs skill building programs in the Grow Academy so that's me uh, how I came into that is uh, through after many years in the corporate world working on mental health and well-being and safety with people and writing up I guess you know well-being strategies in the corporate world and looking at interpersonal connections and uh, looking at mental health and kind of realizing that it really comes down to how we connect with each other if you've got one person at work who's your ally, who's your friend, who supports you, you will always be so much more happier at work. And from that space, after working with dysfunctional teams and working with people in that way, I've moved into the therapy world, particularly with couples. I've always been doing the therapy, but more so in the couple space because all those skills in the corporate world were transferable skills. Mm. And then I studied some more and I'm trained in six different therapy modalities and uh, became certified in the Gottman Method and kind of love what I'm doing, working with, with people at the microcosm, helping them build better relationships. Because I also have a belief that, you know, if we work on improving the relationship one-to-one, we that translates into this ripple effect where we can uh, improve family dynamics, team dynamics, corporate dynamics, if you want, and kind of ripples out into the world in how we relate to everyone. So it all starts from within with one person and then it moves out so that's what I do and that's kind of why I'm doing it 
<laughs> I love that. I didn't. I didn't know that backstory. That's that's really fascinating. Um, I have heaps of questions actually that stemmed from from that introduction. But my first question actually is around this um, idea that you just sort of talked about. You know how you were working with teams and dysfunctional teams and and corporate relationships. How does a like couples relationship or an intimate relationship? differ to some of these other relationships that we might be having with colleagues I mean there's the obvious things but in terms of how we relate to each other is are there similarities and differences between those those relationships and how we relate and why sometimes maybe those more intimate relationships can have more conflict potentially the intimate relationships have more conflict. Well, I think, you know what? All relationships have conflict. That's my view. There is no mm. such thing as no conflict relationships because there's always going to be differences, whether we're at work or at home. We're definitely mm. not clones of each other. We have different brains. We, we are different people. So there's always going to be differences. Now, whether they turn into conflict and kind of painful scenarios is really up to the individual and how skilled they are in navigating difference. That, that's what we're doing all the time, navigating difference. But in terms of the difference between what happens in a couple relationship and what happens at work, you know, when you ask that question, I really, really, really want to say there are no differences. <laughs> but, ah. that, well, but that's not true because there are. Mm. Because one of the main differences is this idea of vulnerability. Because in couple mm. relationships, we're always encouraging people to go a bit deeper and show themselves and be vulnerable. And that's how you build connection because relationships happen at that emotional level, that deeper level. Um, and I know in the corporate world, there is a bit of a movement and there's an encouragement of people to be more vulnerable and show themselves. But my view is in reality, that's not happening so well. Mm. So whilst I want to say, no, there's no difference, in reality, there is a difference because I don't think vulnerability is supported in the corporate workplace I think people mm. try and culture and companies do try, but I just don't think it's supported. So it's not okay to show your feelings and to show the, you know, the the tears behind the eyes and to be able to speak in um, about emotions and and to um, and to demonstrate the gamut of emotions from kind of being upset to being disappointed to being angry to being teary, mm. and also at work we're encouraged to focus on task. Now, the corporate mm. workplace is all about outcomes, ticking things off, getting things done, problem solving, uh, doing more. And in the home environment, in the couple relationship, we actually want to do a bit more of the, again, the emotional landscape, a bit more about around the, it's not just about problem solving, it's about attending to each other, being there for each other, being present, and just holding the space between you this emotional container between you for the other person to do an outpouring and you don't have to solve anything. You're just there for each other. So it actually is really different. And it's partly why I have a lot of, uh, you know, senior management people, CEOs type people that come into my practice. And sometimes where we have to start is unlearning what they have learned about communication, relationships, presence, because some of the skills that they're employing are really useful and they're applauded and they're reinforced in the corporate workplace, but they're just not useful for a couple relationship. Different, mm. you know, you need to be more tender in a couple relationship 
and attuned to each other in a different way. So some of it is actually unlearning. <laughs> That's a long yeah. answer to your question right there. <laughs> no, I love that. And I love that idea of, of unlearning because I think that that's something that we are doing in lots of different spaces in our lives, kind of as we as we navigate kind of being adults and having relationships and, and doing all of that. There is such a process of unlearning. Um, I'm curious... Oh gosh, and I'm just reflecting as you're talking. I'm I'm remembering back to my corporate days and how much I can just oh gosh, how much I felt like I had to hide, you know, that that vulnerability and that emotional side of myself, a hundred percent. Which I think probably in hindsight was a big part of why I burnt out actually. But mm. anyway, um, not alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you could see it, right? Like mm. I I just yeah, gosh, well, there's a lot in there. You know what? If you can't be authentic at work, and and mm. if you have, if you feel like you've got to put on a persona, wear a mask, and be somebody that's different from who you really are, you're just never mm. going to be happy. Because if your strength is that sensitivity and that that passion and empathy, if you're a more gentle sort of person, and you're not able to be that, then you're not using your God-given talent. You're not using your strengths. And mm. and we know from science that if you use your strengths every day you are more likely to be happy at work. And if you're not using your strength and if you're kind of performing in a different way or behaving in a different way and having to stifle parts of you that are actually positives, their strengths, um, then you know what? The work the workplace is going to be a kind of, you know, not, not, not as it should be, not this happy place that you're busting to go to. You will feel a bit, yeah, burn out. <laughs> mm, gosh, that... What you just said right there, I'm like, wow, nobody's ever put it like that before. But that, well, to me anyway, that just so nicely sums up exactly what I experienced. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really, I really appreciate that. That's, I think a really, I'm going to go back and listen to that again, because mm. I think that's a really important thing to, to really grasp this idea of sort of not hiding ourselves, not, um, yeah, letting the, letting the fullness of our humanity kind of be at the table. Absolutely. Um, and this is just, I just want you to know too, that is, this is, um, it's, it's not just my philosophy. There's a whole coaching modality that's based on this strengths-based co- mm. coaching is all about this. And so yeah. there is recognition and there is oodles of science around the fact that we need to be using our strengths. We are not the same. And if we're using our strengths every day, nothing is an effort because mm. it's 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 innate talent that you just use and sometimes we don't even know we have those strengths sometimes they can be so close to us like like our nose and we don't know it's there <laughs> and we're using it every day um that it actually it's what differentiates us we are all different with different talents different strengths and we need to find our strengths and be able to go with them and align with them and use them rather than trying to fit into some other agenda or some other practice or some other way of being that's been dictated by whatever it is, corporate culture or team dynamics or some way that you think you should be in the workforce. So it is a really yeah. important point. But I'll let you get on with your next question because I could go on about this forever. <laughs> no, and I love that. And, it's, you know, it makes me think too, it kind of links together with that unlearning that you were just talking about. I think when we sort of think about this idea of like maybe not even being sure of what our strengths are, I know for me that probably a lot of my strengths were actually, I perceived as weaknesses 
and and hit them because they didn't fit within the you know the cultural dynamic of the the workplace that I was in and so instead of being able to use my strengths I didn't even see them as strengths I saw them as weaknesses and things to be hidden away and and kind of shut off so Mm. I think that's um I think that's huge yeah and you know I'm not too different from that and my own story is a bit like that too which is why I became a strengths coach and it is something Mm. I do it's not a big part of my practice but I like about 10% of my work will be in that space um it's um I was a bit like you in that I'm a very relationship focused person I have innate talent in in building relationships and, and empathy is one of my strengths um, and I guess in the workforce, I had a senior role, I had a national role and, and I was working with executive teams and, you know, I guess I, I felt like um, I wasn't able to, to, my talents were not applauded, that I, would, I had to really cultivate the other parts, which were all about tasks and tick boxes. And after many years of going from one big corporate to another, trying to find the right culture, because in my mind, I was going, oh, it's not the right culture for me, I need to to kind of find uh, an organization that really cares about its people in the way that I care about people, that wants to be with people the way I want to be with people, hmm. um, I finally it finally dawned on me that, you know, that doesn't exist. This is corporate. This is the corporate world. And, hmm. and that's why I actually remember the scenario exactly. I was driving home one day after a very frustrating conversation with an executive, and I was driving home going, another one here I go again. <laughs> and and I got, you know, in, in my mind, I kind of went, oh, God damn it, I'm just going to build it myself. And the mm. name culture of care is what popped into my mind. That's what I'm building. And that's why I've named my business culture of care. And the logo of my business is all about the brain. Because when we change, because everything about us is neurology, our behavior, our thoughts, our patterns, it's all neurology, neural networks in the brain. So I work with people in a way that changes behavior by attacking the thoughts and the belief systems and the, the neurology in the brain and building new neural pathways so that they can more easily fall into useful behavioral patterns. They become new default patterns that align more with their goals and their purpose and what they want to build in their relationships and better connections. So the logo is a brain with beautiful plants growing out at new growth, new seeds, new mm. things, newness. Um, and the business is culture of care or the practice is culture of care because that's what we're cultivating all the time, caring relationships, better bonds, more trust, more warmth between us essentially. And that's what makes us human. That's our humanness. When we mm. take that away and we're just task focused and ticking boxes, we may as well be robots. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I'm thinking I want to talk, I want to dive more into this sort of couples and and more intimate relationship conversation. But um, one of the things that strikes me when you say that is how much, how easy it is, I suppose, for for couples and for families as well to fall into a task-based way of living as well. You know, I'm just thinking about, um, you know, my life where I've got two young kids and run a business and you know husband's got a full-time job and there the the agenda the the calendar is really full right and so it becomes this thing of who needs to be where when and and who's who's in charge of what and you can kind of see how um we could become very task oriented even within our closer intimate relationships yeah 
what yeah. like I don't know if I have a question about that. Well, do you have any thoughts about that? I always have <laughs> thoughts, Erica. I've got lots of thoughts on lots of things here. You've got to keep me quiet sometimes. <laughs> well, let me tell you what I think about that. I mean, you're spot on. This is a hundred percent true in this world of ours. It is so easy to just be focused on tasks. And yes, we're busy people. Who out there is going to say, I'm not busy, I've got oodles of time. I can assure you it's a minority, not a majority. Um, so lots of my couples, um, because my practice is in Sydney City, I get a lot of people who are working who come in, I guess, during breaks or after work or before hmm. work. And they tend to be senior people, busy people, usually you know, lots of married couples with kids. Uh, professional people and, and they've got busy schedules you know even though the therapy sessions we do have to be slotted into their schedules and so they are task-based and that's the way they perform and that's what they've been trained to do because of the corporate work they do anyway and so what we have to work on is actively consciously carving out time for each other now in the Gottman method they talk about the six magic hours and there's six hours per week that are needed to make a relationship to keep it good when it's already good, so to maintain a relationship. Now, you're probably listening to that and going, oh, my God, six hours. I don't have six hours in my week. Where am I going to get that from? It's actually just little things like, you know, they talk about partings and departures. So before you leave home, you ask a question, you know, about your partner's day, and it doesn't have to be a long answer. They give it a, a minute or two, like, what what do you got on today? Or I'm going to the dentist today, or... I've got a meeting with Joe Bloggs today. Um, you know, it's that, just finding out a little bit about what's happening in their day. It takes a minute or two. At the end of the day, when you give your partner a peck on the cheek, they talk about the six-second kiss. So marinating a little bit, just making it a little bit longer, a little bit more special. So it's not just this rush kiss, yeah, done that, let me get on, I'm hungry now, let's cook dinner. It becomes this conscious moment of connection. And so we've found that there's actually six hours in the whole week if you add up all these little small moments including a date night which is kind of two hours including a connection point every day which is about 20 minutes you find that there's actually six hours of connection that can be built into your week where you are consciously attending to your one special other person um, and we do have to be conscious about it because if you're not consciously attending to the relationship you'll get caught up in the world of the busyness and you'll become task-based and your conversations will be about roles and and um, transactional things, who has to do what, when, how. And the depth of meaning and the depth of connection and the way we know each other at that deeper emotional level will be lost. And that's when couples kind of wake up one day and kind of go, well, yeah, I've been living with you for five, six, seven, eight, ten years and who are you? I don't really know you. Lots have changed about you. <laughs> I know how to live with you, I know how to be in, 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 you know, a companion and I know how to get things done with you, but who are you? Like, I'm lonely. I want that, mm. that depth in our relationship. And so that's why we've got to have a focus on more time together, on building conscious connections. You know, it's really funny because one of the things that we do with people when they're separating, um, I, it's a process called conscious uncoupling. Um, mm. which is all about who are you to each other now that you're uncoupling? Like, are you just mm -hmm. friends, acquaintances? When you meet on the street, do you say hi? Do you just send texts to each other? What what do you do now? Mm -hmm. And yet there's a, a bit more information out there about this process rather than the actual consciously attending to each other. 
So consciously making time and attending to each other so you know each other. Even to the point where we kind of go, we've got to update our knowledge about who our partner is. The person you met 10 years ago and you dated and you knew very well has changed. So even though you knew what music they liked then and who their best friend was and, um, you know, what, what was their favorite holiday, all of those things that you spoke about naturally when you're dating because you want to know a person, 10 years later, you may not know what they really like now because they've changed. So you've got to update your knowledge about who is this person. Do they still like that kind of music? Is that still their favorite holiday? Who are they hanging out with now and who's irritating them? What movie's their favorite movie? And mm. this is the stuff we take for granted. And, you know, we kind of assume we know, we get caught in the busyness, we attend to the tasks, and we stop just being with our partner in the way that we did when we were dating. And that's why, once again, my message to you and to your listeners is to carve out the time, to make the conscious connection, to make the relationship important on a daily basis, even if it's just 20 minutes per day with each person talking for 10 minutes about what's happening in their day. You can just open up that window to your day and the emotional tone of your day and just have that moment of connection on a daily basis so at least you have kind of some knowledge about what your partner is doing when they're out there doing their work, whatever their work is. Um, mm. But obviously it's much more than just the 20 minutes. We need additional points of connection. But you can start with that as a little tip, just one point of connection every day. I thought I'd come in here to tell you that this episode is not over. There's another part, part two, which is the next episode in this series, where we uncover more about conflict in couple relationships. And if that interests you, you can head over now to cultureofcare.com.au where you'll find a conflict scaffold and mini training. It's a package for you to help you prepare for a tough conversation, a triggering conversation, so that you can have a conversation all peacefully without conflict. Hopefully I'll see you in part two.